When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Meeting Malcolmus, a pavement podcast. Hey, it's JD here, back for another week of being uncool, underqualified to do the job that I'm about to do, which is to comb through the tracks of seminal indie rock band Pavement, one by one in chronological order, with the hopes of getting a glimmer of light and understanding better this band that we all enjoy. And maybe someday even getting a chance to meet Malchus. So there's that. How are you all doing this week? Is everyone safe and healthy? I hope so. Uh, I am over here. Had a great day yesterday. Was supposed to record this. Um, but I ended up getting into the uh, beer, and by the time I sat down to record, I was a bit too sloppy. And I thought, you don't deserve sloppy, you deserve proper. So here I am on Thursday morning, preparing this for your ears. So there's that. Last week, I want to thank people who came out to the Pavement Live watch-alongs that I hosted. I hosted one on Tuesday and one on Friday. Hoping to do a couple more of those next week. It was a lot of fun. Basically, there's like a YouTube uh, ripoff that you can stream YouTube videos in, and it has a chat function and everything. So uh, it's like we have our own channel, and uh, we can all meet there. And met some really cool people. Uh, that was cool. Found out that two of the two of the people in the group on the Friday were right here in my backyard. So that was really cool. And uh, I want to thank them for uh, ordering stuff from the store. That was really cool, too. Um, I had a coupon last week for the store, 10% off. Here's the, uh, here's the deal, folks. If you're looking to order anything from the store, which is, um, you can see it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I have links for it. Uh, if you need a link, let me know. And if you're looking for 10% off, let me know as well. And I'll send you a coupon code that you can get 10% off. 
in the store. The stuff is uh, pretty reasonable, and um, obviously the funds go to a good cause. <laughs> My fat wallet. Oh, yeah. Listen, speaking of good causes, we've got the bonus feed. And this week on the bonus feed is going to be the full interview that you're going to hear snippets of today from my sit down with Bob Nastanovich, uh, which was absolutely fantastic. We talked for well over an hour. I had, I had booked, you know, 30 minutes of his time. And if you've heard Bob interviews before, you know that he, uh, you don't even have to ask him any questions. I had asked the Twitter feed and the Facebook group and the Instagram group, if anybody had any questions for Bob and I didn't even get through my questions. So I was unable to ask your questions, but fuck that guy is just dynamite. He's friendly. He's fun. And, uh, just, uh, just a heap of good times we had. So I'm going to play you a couple clips from that, uh, interview right now and meet you on the other side where we'll listen to Brink's job. Hello. Hello. Hey, hey Bob. How are you? It's pretty, pretty uh, excellent, all things considering. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Where are you, Toronto? Yeah, I'm in Toronto. Yeah, things are kind of bad there, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing is sort of nutty, you know. Yeah, I mean, like um, Iowa was bad, but like, you know, we're not. Um, I mean, you know, we're on, we're, you know, it's just not, it's about as one, one third as bad as like, you know, I mean, maybe one tenth as bad as New York and like maybe one fifth as bad as LA, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, we're definitely, um, you know, Des Moines is obviously our biggest city and we're definitely proceeding, um, as we should, as far as I can tell, but the imminent dangers are not as severe as major urban areas that are nailed. I mean, actually, like in our case here, I think we've got about 100 COVID-19 cases and about 40 of them are in eastern Iowa, and most of them are all directly related to a cluster of people that got off of an Egyptian cruise ship and brought it in. So that's about nearly one half of the cases in the state. And then I think we have 10 community spread cases in Des Moines with or Polk County, which is, you know, 600,000 people. So, you know, we're kind of, you know, what you call manageable, but, um, in respect to the rest of the country, but and because of the rest of the country and the world, we're pretty cautious. So I'd like to think that at least where I live, we're you know in a better spot, you know, in terms of you know the next three to six months. Yeah, did you ever in your life think that <laughs> you would like experience something like this? This is bananas. Um. No, I mean, I never really considered it because I don't really think along those lines. You're pretty follow. positive. No, it's just like I'm not an you know epidemiologist. <laughs> I mean, right, um, fair enough. Yeah, and you know, I know that like 
you know, from all the traveling I've done and stuff like that, you know, you're, you know, you're super aware of waves of sickness. And, you know, of course we've had epidemics, um, but a situation like this, a pandemic, you know, while always a possible thing was never at the forefront of my imagination, but it makes sense. Oh, I heard the telltale sound of a can opening. What flavor are you drinking? Uh, I'm a diabetic, so I got to drink this. Uh, there's about four beers I can drink. I got to drink this shit. It's amazing. If you can drink, are you a beer drinker? I am. Yeah, I'm also diabetic. So. Thankfully, like, yeah, you mentioned six pack. Thankfully, like, for the first 36 years of my life, I didn't know I was a diabetic. But um, for the last 16 years, uh, I've been one, so I either have to drink. Basically, what I drink is those beers where it tastes like you've taken a beer and poured out half and filled the remaining six ounces with sparkling water. Oh, okay. So it's basically like beer water. So I drink uh, Bud Select 55, Michelob Ultra. There's one... um, Bex makes a low carb, anything that's low carb. Bex makes a low carb one. Um, I think Corona does now. I imagine they'll be going on sale. Oh, um, what a, <laughs> yeah, totally. So, this band that you used to be in <laughs> or that you're still in, yeah. it's just, uh, you yeah. know. Quite technically, I still am. Yeah. yeah, Scott says, uh, like Spiral Stairs says, it's, it's funny the way he says it is he's like, you know, every few years we get a phone call and uh, it's like, let's go back to it, guys. And he's like, just the phone calls have just, <laughs> they get longer and longer in between. <laughs> um, what's that? I'm sorry, missed your question. No, no, I was just saying it's, you know, like you're still, of course, you're still in the in the band. Um, the, the, the question would be though, does it blow your mind that it's 25 years for Wowie Zowie in a month? That kind of seems, feels like it's about 25 years ago. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, it'd have been 27. I mean, yeah. Thinking back then, the old Easley studio in Memphis, which was a real comfort zone for us. We'd all been there before. And, um, Myself, a lot of times, would probably be the only recording studio in the world that I ever felt entirely comfortable in. And I think that um, the most significant thing about Wowie Zowie is that it's the only pavement record I feel like was a five-man completely indicative of like a of a band as opposed to a project. It was, it was the most, the pavement record is most like a band making a record like most bands do, as opposed to a, a recording project. Uh, wow. Because of the previous year with Crooked Rain and the amount of time that we were, we were spending together. And then throughout the course of the Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain touring, which was very extensive. I, I included like 10 Canadian shows. We played Saskatoon. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. We played every, we played Calgary on that tour. Um, definitely Vancouver. I'd have to think. I'd say at least seven or eight 
Canadian, so it's probably maybe probably two in Toronto. I mean, if you play Saskatoon, you probably hit ten. You probably hit ten because Saskatoon would Winnipeg for sure. Scoring. Oh Winnipeg, yeah, for sure. You know, um, so yeah, um, we basically spent that entire year together, ninety four, and then we didn't really stop going into ninety five because we went to Japan and Australia in ninety five. Um, New Zealand as well for the second time, all three of those places for the second time. And we were constantly together. And what would happen at the end of any, any touring era payment for any of the, the first four albums, um, it towards the end of the tour, we would start to, we, we were, we were, you know, we're playing selected songs off of previous records and playing just like any other band playing, the current album of the album that you're touring for we're playing as many songs on it that were bearable live in most cases <clears throat> or that worked live and so at a certain point um we would kind of start working on other stuff whether it ended up being like b-sides or entirely discarded or in the case of wowie zowie we had enough material because we spent enough time together and had as much as pavement ever did gelled as a unit um, where we had this kind of togetherness and everybody was making a full contribution to the process and everybody had been in studios before and we had been, we'd separated ourselves into a different era in terms of personnel, like Steve West, who joined the band um, before, just before Crooked Rain, um, you know, had very much been become a huge part of the band. And so, when we went in the studio to make Wowie Zowie, we had quite a lot of material, and some of the songs were almost completely finished or mostly finished. We had a pretty good idea of how they were going to go. And then some of them were, as you can tell by listening to it, some, some of them were made up on the spot. Some <laughs> of them had even like under different titles, some of them had even like entered pavement live sets. Um, you know, about 80% as true as they turned out on the final project. So sort of the great part about that recording process is we all felt, not only like full-fledged members of the band, and we felt like a unit, which we sort of always did on the road, um, but not often did in the studio, but in Wowie Zowie, that was certainly the case. So everybody sort of felt like they were really in a band. Um, whereas, you know, I think Scott and Steven probably always did. And... Um, you know, Mark to an extent, me to an extent, and Westy, who was, you know, definitely had paid his dues, as they say at that point.
I just felt that we were we were a full fledged band, and and then you know in terms of actually recording the songs, we're with Doug Easley and Davis McCain in a great studio, and we knew it well, and we knew Memphis well, and our our friend Sherman Wilmot hosted us for the most part. We're well looked after, and it was really fun. And um, I felt like after Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, in which there was an attempt by the certain facets of the music industry to make pavement a bigger thing um, than it was actually ever meant to be commercially, uh, that we definitely kind of got back to what the band started as in 1989. And that was kind of a band that was more individual and did their own thing. Even though I think that certainly the music between the start and crooked rain was, was very much pavement. I felt like, you know, 95, we'd kind of firmly established ourselves and also um, by putting out, songs and making songs that were sort of pure pavement we were clearly indicating that this is who we were and that you know we weren't going to be your next nirvana or your next pearl jam or any of those things we you know we weren't marketable in that way and we kind of cared mostly about being the band that we wanted to be so you're, um, you're comfortable in your you're comfortable in your skin and that's i think that's like a, a really important thing and i think it comes across in the record right like the songs are there like I don't think anybody was ever, i don't think anybody in the band actually um whether it be i mean i think to you know a certain extent everybody in the band suffers from you know anxiety in some sort of way and um you know, despite their attempts to be laid back or slacker or whatever, we, right, we cared right, a lot about course, it. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I don't think we're ever really comfortable in our own skin. I just think we'd figured out um, that we needed to be ourselves. And and I think we always had been, but we, I think kind of why we always like, no matter what, like, let's be ourselves and, you know, a lot of people are loyal. A lot of people like it and they're going to like this. And if they don't and it's too weird for them or too strange sounding or like it freaks them out, that's just the way it goes. Cause this is pavement in 1995.
I've been asked the question several times, what's your favorite pavement record? And I always say, oh, is, is, is my favorite pavement record because, you know, from our personal standpoint was that all five members of the band and the two gentlemen who recorded the record, in fact, in, in, in Doug's case, he played on Father to a Sister of Thought at least. And, uh, so such a great, so laid back, just, it's just such a laid back. That pedal steel is so, oh, fuck, it just works so thing. well. And that's, that was his instrument. He played it. Yeah. You know? What, and he's great. What is the song on Wowie that like encapsulates the record to you? Is there, is there, is there one, is that like a dumb question to ask? Like, is there a song that is wowie zowie to you that that whole experience of like you guys being a five-piece band and feeling like one and you know having it all come together and you know all clicking is there a song that represents that in any way um there are four all right there are four um grounded for sure oh. is there a better song to play live it's always set up really well i mean i i've written 80 90 percent of the our live set list you know when we played live and grounded is one of the five to ten songs that did start or end the show or start an encore um just because of the intro and like just it's you know it's got great dynamics and it's it's, it's dramatic and his guitar's beautiful on it so um and everybody plays and like you know it kind of creates it draws you in you know like it's very cinematic it's a it's a really cinematic kind of song it's beautiful guitar and like it's a great song and the words are great but like it it just kind of like it's a great song to start a set with because it draws people in that song for sure um at&t is another I think that when we made AT&T, uh, which is one of Ibold's favorite pavement songs of all time, That's cool. uh, I thought that, you know, despite like the fact that the, a lot of the other songs on the album are pretty far out, I thought that we kind of like, I think AT&T, we kind of felt like was, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, kind of like an ass kicker. And the interesting thing about AT&T, if you listen to it and it turned out this way live, is that like, it's actually like three fourths of a great song. And like, it just didn't, I think it's about, oh, I think it's about, it's not much longer than three minutes, but like, we just, we just didn't figure out a way to ever end it properly. And it gets a little repetitive at the end, but that was like the song that we, thought was like like but we don't have to worry about the fact that there's not like you know hits like you know like there was on on crooked rain crooked rain you know you know it's like atv has got that kind of covered and then fight this generation yeah um i thought kind of like uh kind of became like sort of like pavement sort of like imaginative like Battle Cry. I think we felt like, uh, especially, it's one of those songs that 
we played quite a bit live. It's your teenage wasteland. Yeah, I think so. Like, and like, I, I think that, um, I was never really, I think it's actually turned out to be, I mean, I think it's good on the record, but I think, I think it actually turned out to be one of those rare payment songs that, that had a better shelf life as a live song. So good. Yeah. And, yeah. and then sort of like, um, half a Canyon is a very important song to me. Uh, just like Fillmore Jive or, uh, Fiend, Finn, um, even stop breathing to, to, a, uh, an extent. Cause it, cause it was like, it was like, a uh, it's a bit of a showstopper. Like it's very self-indulgent to have songs that are over five or six minutes long for pavement. So it had to have a lot of elements to it. Right. And I, I just thought it was like, uh, wonderfully and delightfully strange and and rock i mean i think like i mean if i listen to it like and think about the influences on it they're there you know but at the same time like i think we should have played it more i think it always worked i'd like to play it again so i'm hoping you know hopefully when we do play again um that'll be on there so yeah those are that's four right yeah that's four That is my, uh, or a portion of, uh, segments from my interview with Bob Nastanovich. Again, if you want to hear the whole thing, it's about an hour with a couple tracks put into it. Um, some Mercury Rev and some pavement. And, uh, yeah, you can get that on the bonus feed. It's $3 a month. You find that on the website. I'll be. I'll be throwing a, a link up for that on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram too. It's three bucks a month. Uh, you get access to, I don't know, there's 14 episodes or 15 episodes up there so far. It's all the um, B-sides from Lux and Redux is where we're at so far. But we'll get to all of them. So there's that. If you don't do it, that's cool too. Um, hey, listen. Uh, that was Brink's job that we listened to a couple versions of in, in the middle. We heard an instrumental live version from uh, my Live at the Palace CD that I have uh, from 94. And it's uh, cool to just hear them jam it out. You know, uh, they sound great. They sound dynamite. And uh, it, it's really great. Uh, as far as the studio version goes, it's very dynamic. Um, a lot going on in there. But it, to me, it's a throwback to not from a sound perspective but it's a throwback from a concept perspective to um perfect sound forever where you've got a full song and then you've got a song fragment you know sort of paired with it or pardon me demolition plot uh um you know that's paired with it there's there's a song and then a segment of a song so it's a it's an idea but by the same token it feels complete like it you know it's it says what it has to say um, I'm assuming it's about a Brinks truck robbery. Uh, that's what it sounds like to me. I don't think that we can really peel back the layers too deeply. It's just a fun rollick. And, um, you know, apparently they did play it live even. So, um, it sounds like they didn't have, uh, lyrics for it yet because the concert that I played at 
from is from 94. And obviously they went into Easley Studios in 95 to record Wowie. So there's that. We're going to talk a lot more about um, Wowie Zowie in general. We've got a guest next week on the episode we're going to record with one of my podcast friends. And uh, we're going to talk about Grounded. And if there's a song that um, defines this record and this era of pavement and became a staple of their live act, it's, it's that song. So I look forward to uh, listening to that with you and uh, doing all the rest of that uh, dosy dough. So uh, be good, be safe, and uh, take care of one another. Talk to you next week. Peace out. Meeting Malcolmus, a pavement podcast, is a weekly affair. Connect with JD at JD at meetingmalchemist.com. Please support the pod by rating, reviewing, or sponsoring us at meetingmalchemist.com. And hey, I'm social. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at meetingmalchemist.